Hey everybody, it's John Lamoureux, and thank you for joining us for our first birthday episode. Since we've been at this a year, which I cannot believe, I wanted to create a sort of full circle moment. And so this week's guest is the drummer of the great band Big Country, Mark Brzecki. Now you may be asking yourself, or me, or whatever, why is this a full circle moment? Anyone who's been listening to the podcast since the beginning, or who has gone back and listen to our older episodes from last year. You may remember I recorded a introduction as to what the kind of the mission statement or the inspiration or the focus of this podcast was going to be. And as I've said many times, it is to on the one hand to tell the stories that don't get told as often of the artists that deserve more attention. Now when I was recording this introduction, I told the story of also how I've remained to this day very moved by the suicide of Big Country's lead singer, Stuart Adamson, which took place almost 15 years ago. The reason being is that if, think about this, if your favorite artist, the person who wrote or sang or performed or played on that song that just moves you to this day, what if the person responsible for creating that much joy in your life was hurting because they felt insignificant? Imagine that. Imagine if that person didn't feel loved and yet you love them so much. And I thought, I want the littler guys, the people who don't get told their love as often, to know that I love them. And thinking that way has had a major impact on my life and how I approach the people who I respect and care for. And so I thought it would be very impactful to talk to Mark about the band, the history of Big Country, what Stuart was like as a person, how he dealt with Stuart's suicide, how Mark has maintained a living, what the other guys are doing, and so I thought this would be a very special, a, a sort of special conversation to have with a special guy at a special time. I really love Mark. I'm a huge Big Country fan. Unfortunately, they were only a one-hit wonder, really, in the States with In a Big Country that you're listening to right now. They were bigger in other parts of the world. But if I can shed more light on this band, that's what I want to do. Now, Mark lives in the UK, but he called me while he was visiting his girlfriend in Nashville. When I started a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I recorded a quick introduction where I told people sort of what was motivating or inspiring me to do it. And one of the main reasons was Stewart's suicide. The reason being that it, it's never sat well with me, the thought of one of my favorite musicians killing himself if it was because he felt like he wasn't loved. Because I loved him a lot. And you would want to believe in this day and age of like, social media and podcasts and websites and all that kind of stuff that you would be able to communicate that to your favorite artists. And so that's why I specifically had been trying so hard to get one of you guys on because I wanted to put out an episode with you as our first anniversary kind of as a full circle moment, you know, that I had stated in the beginning, you were an inspiration for starting it. And now here we are a year later and we get to talk to you. 
well, we know the big people stories, the you know, the Rolling Stones and Fleetwood Mac and stuff. I want to hear the other guys. You know, I want to hear this music that I grew up on. That's the stuff that's more interesting to me. Do you know much about my history? Not personally. I mean, I saw you guys in concert here in Denver, Colorado a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm an original member. Just a quick overview. I'm an original member of the band from when, you know, with Tony and Bruce and Stuart. But I also play, and I have done throughout my career, with lots of other people from Pete Jones and the cult. You know know that stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got Um, a list of people here that I might ask you about. Yeah, like I say, you know, I've just had the, the death of a good friend of mine, and the Thunderclap Newman from Thunderclap Newman. Yeah, I he saw passed. your post on Facebook. Yeah, so, you know, we were doing a new project together with that. Uh, and he was very good friends of Pete Towns, and we were going to be doing something together, hopefully in the future, which isn't going to happen now. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's been a few things happening that people don't know about. So I'll Yeah, let, I'll let you continue start. to make a living that way, collaborating and working with your favorite artists and stuff like that, right? That's right. You know, I'm, I I play with Big Country, but I do other projects. You know, I'm doing a project with Simon Townsend's guitar player called Tony Lowe, a fabulous project called ESP, which is a prog rock thing. It's kind of like my Phil Collins. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very it's, it's proggy, but in a really thematic way. You know, I'm I'm finishing the album at the moment. Uh, I'm really pleased with it more than good more I've done. You know, so Big Country out. is not your primary focus. I mean, well, that might well, be the steady job, but you've got other things, lots of other things that you do. Well, it, it is my primary focus in, in the sense that I work every week with the band and I'm still oh. working with them after all these years. So I have to base my work schedule and my leisure time around big country, as in I'm in Nashville now at the moment, ironically. We, we we don't have any shows this this month, so when I don't get shows, I come over here in between my two, uh, my recording schedules So because my girlfriend lives here. Nice. Nashville is a big music scene now. It's like the new L.A. All the session musicians and real musicians, people who play real instruments and used to be those guys you would call to come play on your albums, they all live in Nashville now. That's like the new yeah, hub. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new here, but um, meeting people like you do along the way and networking and being introduced to people, it's 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 definitely people are moving here from all around the country. These yeah. The music scene is, is very big here, particularly on the drumming front as well. Very cool. So I'm, I'm working with um uh, last year with uh, you know with Alan Shatlock who produced uh, It Bites, uh, The Alarm, Hall, oh. and a few others. He lives over here, so he's a good friend of mine. He's been helping good. Me network into um into a, a you know a framework of people that are very useful to me and to yeah. have a, have a community of musicians that I'm involved in. You know. Good. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing any work as such per se over here. Uh, as, but I'm. I'm meeting and making myself, you know, available to people as as a friend at the moment. So. Yeah. And that's good. You know, I'm. I'm working with a guy called Chaz Stamford. I say I'm working. I'm not working. I meet. I go to a studio and you know I set up his kit and configure them. We play around with sounds and stuff. And he. Do you know Chaz Stamford? He was. He produced. I know. Chicago out two three Chicago albums Stevie Nicks oh. play guitar with her as well. I'm, Excellent. Um, okay. A few, anyways, a few. There's a few little inroads I'm making here. With, with some Very cool. Play. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine you have to try too hard to get a job. All of, well, all anyone needs to know is you're the drummer of Big Country. They know exactly what sound they're getting. Yeah, that is true. That is true. People. I mean, people. It's a strange thing living out. You know, living in the UK and coming over here. Um, I, I, I kind of. 
I've known more than I realised, particularly to the drumming world over here. Uh-huh. You know, in drum uh-huh. shop, you know, I got I got recognised in the store the other day, and I. I you did. Yeah, I don't <laughs> get that at home. It's ironic. It's completely bonkers. Wow. Um, but there you go. I didn't expect that. You know, a guy said, I met you on a, the crossing tour back in the 80s when you played Ohio, blah, blah, blah. And sure. I went to a drum shop and they asked me, am I me, you know, and <laughs> it's very, oh. I don't get home. It's ridiculous. But, um, it's, really? Yeah, yeah. That's great. Good for you, man. Well, I, I was surprised more than anything else, but there you go. Good. Well, That's great. Well, Big Country is still a pretty beloved band over here. One thing I want to know, I have never known how to pronounce your last name. It depends who says it, to be honest, John. Brzezicki is kind of how people say it in London. Or okay. Brzezicki or Brzezicki, you know, depends if Brzezicki. you're north or south. Yeah, or Brzezicki, you know. Okay, good. I've had it's one of those names I've always seen, and I just marked for something, you know? Yeah, I don't even I, know how to do the rest. It, it looks like a Polish eye test is, is how I send myself. Right? Yes, <laughs> The bottom line of the, of the eye test, you know. I have, I've, I've had nicknames in the band. Um, I've, but Stuart used to call me Beeswax. <laughs> that was my nickname because he liked. He thought I was good at playing, so I was in yeah. his work. So. That makes um, sense. It was, it, was, it was his affectionate name. He had different names for people in the band. Cool. Um, Let's get some of the tragic stuff out of the way. If I ask anything you don't want to talk about, by all means, just tell me. This is a man yeah, that's, meant to that's, honor that's, you. This is not anything gossipy or anything like that. My understanding is that Stewart didn't leave a suicide note that I'm familiar with. Do you know what was the final straw? What led him to finally to decide to kill himself? Interesting question. I don't think anyone would ever know because I don't think you can actually get into the minds of somebody when they're that that. Um, they, you know, they're 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 an entity within themselves with their with where they're at within themselves. So I don't know. The quick answer is I don't know. I don't okay. think anyone will ever know. And you take those secrets with you when you go. Yeah, uh, but I do know obviously private stuff that I would have thought would uh, be um, instrumental to him feeling pretty down. That stuff is personal, as, as I said. Uh, but then, um, you know, it's only speculation, even from my side and within the band, because you know, we we when Stuart had moved out here, ironically to Nashville, where I am now. You know, a he came on his own as a songwriter, where you know we had a break within the band and um, the record company. It was often common policy for the record label to, particularly if you're the main singer-songwriter, to uh, kind of exchange ideas internationally or with somebody else to to trade off, if you like, to sort of bring mm-hmm. some new new ideas into it or even a new project. And it was Marcus Hammond, who's quite renowned over here in Nashville, and a, and a great singer-songwriter. He's got a fabulous voice, a great mm-hmm. great songwriter. He got introduced to Stuart, as they do for the record industry, uh, to do some writing. And when he came over here, kind of. He was pretty much focused doing that project, which became the Raphaels, which he put the album out. I'm a simple man, I want a simple life, I want a paid up home, I want a faithful wife. Simple man, had a simple plan I got a complicated 
ain't got no so he, he had a support group over here within, you know, he, he came over here, he fell in love with, uh, so the story goes, the hairdresser, Melanie, who had the, the uh, shop in Nashville. She, I went to see the shop, actually, really just to go down there and see if I could see, go and say hi to Melanie. She'd already sold the, the, the property. I wondered if she still worked there. Okay. Well, I wondered that, um, but she sold it the business about a year ago, and I wanted just to say hi for old times' sake. Yeah. Yeah. So Stuart came over here. It's something that again is personal, but I know yeah. there was, you know, obviously he had a marriage breakup because he married Melanie, and he kind of built his rebuilt his life pretty quickly over here after his divorce back in the UK. But I, you know, uh, from my point of view, is you know he had a family with his 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 other his yeah. other wife Sandra, and um, you know he had two kids, and he, I don't think he ever really got over his first marriage breakup that's really where i think it's all at to be honest with you um i can't yeah. second guess any more than that and the, the, the tragic thing about all this is that you know we were still a band that three quarters of the band were still based in the uk and yeah. all of a sudden our singer the main guy leading the charge if you like was living six thousand miles away with a time difference and you're out of sight out of mind you know we were always a yeah. band that, you know we spent so much time together i mean to, to get any success with any project you do, you have to give it your full. I mean, that really is the only way to do anything. You have to just commit to say, I will do this and we hope for the best. But you have to give yeah. it 100%. So from the early days in the 80s when we had the crossing out, only for a few weeks doing the tours back to back and then you know i mean i'm yeah I, nobody really i mean i everyone in the band other than myself which is why i ended up single really is it didn't have any uh, you know they're already married or had ongoing uh-huh. permanent other halves you know and children i never sure. had that there was a lot of stress regarding touring john in the early days um some of us were okay with it some right. other wives were better at dealing with people being away. You know, it was very personal how you would manage yeah. that, that scenario. Stuart was a very family man, a very loving man, very family man, very caring guy, very sensitive. All those qualities you can see in his songwriting and in his absolutely. lyrics. Yep, um, absolutely. And he cared a lot about many things. He really did. I think in hindsight we can yeah. see that clearer now, but I think he cared about so many things that he, he lost sight of himself sometimes, you know, where he yeah. was. 
cared about so many other people in so many scenarios right. and keeping the band buoyant and keeping it you know fresh and reinventing the band with with the new new titles of albums and songwriting yeah. and development you know so leading up to what we talked about Stuart you know uh, leaving this planet was I think based on trying to make the band and his family life balancing those two together which he he didn't achieve very well because uh-huh. he he you know we we had some early opportunities like you do when when you have success you get invited onto a bigger tour and then you get a chance to go here and do you know support with a bigger band and uh, at the times we were coming off the road where we had a like a gap that would you know bring back your sanity and and you know keep your family together we had mm-hmm. offers of bigger tours to go out again, like we, we had an Elton John support tour. We had a, mm. in the 80s, we had a tour to support the police. And, you know, they were turned down. Who knows where it would have led the band. But some of those big yeah. opportunities were turned down because, you know, the band, uh, not only Stuart, but the band really wanted to get home with their families after being away yeah. for two months or three months, you know, on the road. And, you know, when you're... When you're on the road and you have a gap, we're in the studio writing, we're doing demos, and we're back on the road, and we're doing writing and demos. You're never at home. So right. we were we were we we're, were a very close band because of that. And to answer the earlier question, because we were living out of each other's pockets, sharing rooms, hotel rooms, you know, right. it was like you know, it was like your, it was my new family. I know Stuart, Bruce, and Tony more than I do my own brothers and sisters. You know, because of course you I spent do. more time as a young adult, you know, into into, yeah. into into manhood, as it were, you know, from right. random boy, if you like. We spent yeah. a lot of time together, um, which true bands do, you know. Is It was, you know, it's a proper band that, that did that, lived and breathed it. Right. And so, unlike, a, you know, people think, when we, you know, Big Country had two Scottish guys, Stuart and Bruce, and two London guys, me and Tony. Mm-hmm. And when we were away from from the band we simply just did our own thing you know we didn't speak to each other and it was one of those things we never talked about it was like well when you're good enough friends we've always yeah. felt that you don't need to be ringing up saying hey how are you doing you know i'm missing right. you already you know it right. didn't happen in the band we, we had a kind of a an unspoken thing that when we went home we just did our own thing we didn't communicate about anything until it yeah. was time to get back together again to get back together. and the diary right. the diary would dictate when we were back we joined up from where we were before. Did a you know, yeah. did a did a mental catch up with what everyone's been doing, and we carried on the task of trying to make big country, you know, the best right. band in the world, which is what our right. vision was. Well, um, you almost made it. Was Stuart an alcoholic? Was that part of the problem? Yeah. Well, yeah, yes, he was. There's no denying that because he's been he was vocal about that in 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 interviews as well. You know, I'm not saying yeah. that nobody would, doesn't know anyway. Right. Um, he did. He did have problems with with drink, and I think that that comes socially from, you know, you inherit that. But it's a different way of life. Um, well, yeah, I think the, you know, if the parents drink, and it's a drinking culture up in Scotland more so than it was for my family. If I'm just, just you know comparing like for like, I didn't drink a lot. I was lucky. It was something I didn't need to do, or I didn't, you know, I never drank any spirits or anything. But you know, people were young. They were having a lot of success. And there was lots of things to, to get through as well. You know, it's not all flaying sailing. There's a lot of yeah. a lot of work involved to get the success. So yeah. there was a lot of drinking done within the band, not only for for, for relief and and you know to escape and and to enjoy yourself. So Stuart and the band, I say not so much myself, not not to be any not to be 
deliberately any different. It's just the fact that sure. I didn't drink that much, you know. It wasn't your thing, yeah. No, I didn't smoke as well, and, you know, the other guys drank and smoked. I just was from a different scenario from my family. Right, you know? right, um, okay. Rightly or wrongly, I'm not judging anyone there, but, but it does have... No, I know what you mean. A couple of weeks ago, I had Graham Skinner on from the band Hipsway. Do you remember yeah. Graham Skinner? He's yeah. Scottish as well, and he said something very similar. He didn't say he battled alcoholism, but alcoholism is such a prominent issue in Scotland, especially where he grew up, that it is always kind of out there. And uh, well, I, so, yeah, you know, he said I mean, something very similar. I only know this by the boys telling me that, you know, particularly... Sure. Stuart and Bruce was, you know, where we saw, um, I mean, Scotland's such a beautiful place, it became my second home. But one thing I did notice um, very quickly was how different the um, the social aspect was regarding, you know, it was like you got paid on a Thursday or on a Friday and everyone mm-hmm. went out and got drunk. You know, yeah. you didn't come back falling over, you know, you weren't having a good week. I'm not saying that, that right. they, I'm not... I'm not not putting that as 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 fact, but you know, one could say that you know, just as an overview, is how how that we would Stuart and Bruce would send up the way it was up there, you know, go out and um and 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 you know have some get some bevies down your neck, you know, on a Friday night. It was yeah. just the way it was. The culture was like that, you know. There was no right mm-hmm. or wrong. It just it, sure. it was just considered the norm. But you know. When you're vulnerable, which Stuart was probably more vulnerable than people realise, you know, mm-hmm. he was a strong character in his in his um, leadership. He was definitely had a had a leadership quality that that you know you needed as a front man and a guy to lead the charge with with where mm-hmm. the band was going. We used to often talk about me and Stuart particularly used to say, you know, if we were in the army, what would we be as band members? And you know, I would <laughs> I would be mm-hmm. some sort of engineer somewhere in the background, you know, right. Stuart right. would be like commander leading the charge going over the top of the hill. That's how we would say, you know, get yeah. over the and kill the bastards is his kind of his approach. You know, Stuart used to talk about that, what, you know, what our yeah. roles were, you know. Right, it's sure. It's interesting dichotomy to see that if you talk it like that as to where you, you, you know, your, your personality. Right, yeah. A band, just like a family, takes on roles, right? That's to right. create the dynamic that makes it work, yeah. yeah. Something I had read about Stuart, too, was that was he? I don't know if he was. If this happened just prior to him committing suicide, or if this was an ongoing issue where he was prone to sort of disappearing sometimes. Is well, it, was that an ongoing again, problem, or was that just around that time frame? It was. It was around that time, to be honest, because you know he had things under control. I mean, he was a member of AA, and he was going to meetings and things, and he had sponsors. Mm. And that stuff was something I didn't really know too much about, to be honest. He didn't talk much about that stuff. I don't know too much about how that works, even myself as an adult. You know, it's one of those yeah, things. That yeah. I don't know really the ins and outs of rehab, or he didn't do rehab as such, but he was definitely getting help. And he, he you know, the first point of when you have a problem is admitting that you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when, you know, the help happens once you submit to that. And Stu used to talk about that, that he'd submitted to that. He knew he had a problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's he was a very logical guy. But he was also very fiery. He could have a temper very quickly. Um, he was very mm-hmm. sensitive. You know, he would tell it as it was. You know, and um, mm-hmm. but he 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 wanted to do something about knowing that he had a problem, which was which was very that it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And he did get he he did have support. But you know, I think that may have, when he when he came to America, I think that's probably when it started to the. the the infrastructure probably started to fall apart. I don't know. I can't oh, really? Huh. 
possibly. How long yes. before he ki- killed himself did he move to Nashville? I remember seeing a sort of "Where Are They Now" program on VH1 in the '90s with him on it. Was it like the late eight, late '90s around well, he, the time he, he moved he to Nashville? House- he had a house in Florida, like a holiday home. He would often go to during the late eighties and, and nineties, and then and then you know he liked America a lot. Um, okay. And, and uh, he actually had a house in Florida, as I say, because uh, he used to talk about me coming over there and spending weeks with him. When time was off, he would fly over to Florida with his with his first yeah. wife. But I think Nashville was probably um, when we did driving to Damascus. to Damascus when a sandstorm rose. The road disappeared and the axle froze. I was low on gas, lower on hope. I covered my eyes and I fell for the rope. The wind was howling and the air it stung. I breathed in dust and it burned my lungs. And through the dust a driver came. Small and twisted at his face was plain. He said Leading up to that album, um, we, we were not only flying over here to do record demos and, and to, you know, we met Marcus as well and we, 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 were in, we were recording demos in studios over here. You know, it was, Stuart was based over here a good few, two or three years before then, when he first did, did, did the writing spree. You know, don't take this as, as gospel because my timeline is not as good as Bruce's. Bruce, Bruce is sure. a great... Bruce has a memory of, of things. Um, I remember different things. I probably remember more emotional things than dates. I'm not going to be dates. <laughs> right. Bruce right. can remember dates. Stuart was the same. Stuart had an amazing memory. You know, he could remember the layout of a room, you know, or a gig mm-hmm. or a backstage area. If he hadn't been there for 20 years, he would he would know it. Um, mm-hmm. He had a, he had like a photographic memory. He was he was quite incredible actually. Very very bright, very intelligent man. Very well read, but had a super memory. I mean, seriously good memory. Wow. I'm the, I'm the um, the dodgy one where my memory blends in. You know, when people ask me about gigs, my joke is I've ever only, only ever done one gig. They just, you know, they just yeah. go to different places. You know, like, yeah, it's been going for 35 years. Yeah, in different one gig. locations. Still yeah, doing one gig. You know, they, they right. be the same place, but they, when you go outside, right. you realise they're in a different place. You know, only when you mm-hmm. leave the place, you know where they are. Yeah. But you know, I think it was mid to late 90s that he came over here, and and okay. and then he settled here. Talking about him going missing, I know Callum, his son, you know, would come over here, not only to stay with his father, because he liked coming over here. But uh-huh. uh, there was a few occasions where, well, Callum would come over here and his father wasn't here. He'd gone, he'd mm-hmm. gone missing. That that bit I can't comment on because right. I wasn't here, and I, you know, and I'm not family, sure. and I, I'm not party to knowing what went on there. Right. You know. Right. But I know okay. I know that Callum was a stabilizing force, as was his Good. family. All his family was still a stabilizing force in Stuart's Good. life. And, okay. and I think when his second marriage went wrong over here, again, I don't know how or why. I don't know the ins and outs of that. But that yeah. was obviously another big low point for him. And, you know, Stuart had phases like anyone. You know, you have the highs and you also have to meet the lows, you know. Yeah. And he had phases of getting really down, you know. 
I've told this story before, but it's not very well documented. And it, it, I, only, I only mention it because it, it's quite an important part of talking about the ups and downs of Stuart. I mean, in 1989, it was July. We were either in Switzerland or we were in Austria, somewhere like that. Uh-huh. And we were, on, we were on the end of a tour of, of, of Germany and, and, and around surrounding countries. And he, he said that he felt that the band had already reached its final conclusion and that there was nothing more we could achieve. It was pretty down at that point. It came as a shock. And it was never really documented what had happened was he was he reached an all-time low with the band and how he felt with the band. He even said to us, you know, do it do it without me if you want. It was almost that. He didn't really? it was never gonna happen, yeah. But what he, do you think's motivating that? Did he feel like he had lost his mojo? He wasn't writing good stuff, I, the audience had dwindled. What was going he, on? I think he felt a little bit personally probably burnt out. And he wanted yeah. to take a break. I think it was, to, to be honest with you, it was as simple as wanting to, to crying out and needing to take a break, but knowing yeah. he couldn't really, because the way, like I said earlier, John, the way we were working was that you couldn't take a break. You know, when you took a break, yeah. it was it was like, well, you know, you need to be in a demo studio, and again, it's going to be away from home. So he needed to be at home like like the other guys in, in, in with with respect to the other three, the other two, I should say. Yeah. I didn't have a family, although I needed to get home just to, do my stuff as well because I was right. doing lots of session work. My, my going home was doing more session work to be honest. I just sure. heard Stuart had called a band meeting and the management and the agent all flew in to because he, he he said the band the band have have finished officially finished. Wow. And um, jeez. He he wrote me a note that he, he put under my door telling me which I still have and telling me that he felt the band had had done as much as he felt he could. He felt that it was time to move on take a break and reflect and but the um you know that the band had finished and I, I i was in a real dilemma then because i i had people knocking on my door i had yeah. of Fears, sting and a few others Procol harm and fish from Rillian and uh nick nick kershaw and other people that were pretty happening at that time yeah asked me to, what am i doing can i tour with them and obviously i could do the albums because it didn't take that long it was it was days in the studio but it wasn't weeks right. or months away so yeah. this time around, I'm being asked to tour with Sting on, on the Soul Cages album tour. And, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, which I did do one TV show with them, and I did some rehearsals because um, uh, Vinnie Colliuta was... Um, sorry, I'm digressing now. He, okay. he he was on a Joni Mitchell tour, um, and he had to jump ship, and I was going to take over from Vinnie to do the rest of the start in South America and then doing three months, I think it was, on the Soul Cages tour. So I did oh, two no weeks way. rehearsal. Um, during this time when the band had broken up, and then and then I had a call to say that Vinny's gig had been cancelled with Joni Mitchell, and he was now back on the road with Sting. So I ended oh. up doing a TV show over here. I enjoyed the rehearsal, so I had that that pleasure of working with Sting and uh, Dominic and David Sanctus on that time. This was post Peace in Our Time, right? Who pose the strings of misery or the purse of grief? And the gunmen weep, or the gangsters so And the law is cheap when the smugglers go. Give us peace, give us peace in our time.
Was it after that album? Was it the reception to that album, the songs on that album, where he began? Because I, I believe you left. Now, this is all things I find on the No, end. I never left I the believe band. you this left. Okay, you didn't this, leave. This is one I'm trying to make clear. What, it, what happened was that I, I've got it in my passport, uh, the, the stamp where we were in, I think we ended up in Jersey, July 1989 it was, I think it was. Stuart said the band had finished. Wrote me a letter saying, you know, um, you know, he'd he had a blast with it all, and you know, we were very special, and it wouldn't mean we yeah. would work together again. But right now, he he wanted to just to to say the band that the band had broken up. I I had to make decisions because I said to Stuart, look, if you if that's what you're going to do, is it final? And when it was final, when he, when he declared it in front of the management and the band, the agents came down as well, and it was very clear that, that it was the end of the band. Now, yeah. I had to make sure that I wasn't, you know, knee-jerking or anything. So I gave uh-huh. it a while. And, and, and you know, Stuart had written me a note telling me that he wished me well in the future and wished all the band members well, whatever they do, you know. But it was still, yeah. you know, it, 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 he wouldn't not consider working with us, but he just got a big country, we're done. So I, yeah. I, I said, well, if I go out and do this stuff, you know, I can't just come back because I'm going to be away. You know? Yeah. Make sure you make sure that's what you want to do. And this this went on for weeks with Stuart talking about it with the band. Weeks. It wasn't just a thing on a day. And so when I was out the band and and I committed, to, I did an album with Progal Harum. I was I was working with Simon Townsend and I don't want to waffle too much about this, but I, I had a call from Gary Brooker from Progal Harum to do an album, the first studio album after B.J. Wilson had died. ended up in Progal Harm for 17 years alongside Big Country Spinning Plates to keep my diary oh, nice. active. The point I'm making is that whilst they were away um, and the band had finished, the management decided not to announce it. They just mm. they just thought, we'll sit on it. And I wasn't available. I'd signed to Warner Brothers. I'd signed to Armour Erdogan's label in, in New York with Simon Townsend uh-huh. committed to do an album. And I was in the Isle of the Man with Gary Stevenson who produced Go West, which I also played with. Um, oh, I love Go West. He was producing us, because um, I knew Gary from that period, with Simon. I was committed to do an album. I was committed to do the Sting Tour. I was committed to do some uh, touring with Procol Harum. And I was committed to do the um, uh, uh, Sowing the Seeds of Love Tour with... with Fears for Fears. Yeah, Another I, all-time I, I favorite. Did, did Boy, your dance card is full. I did, yeah, I did a small tour in, in, in around France and a few dates in Europe, a TV tour on, on that promotion of that single with them. Okay. Um, so... I was I was out and about. Now what happened was I don't know how many months it was. I think it was three or four months later. 
I got a frantic call from the management saying, we're back in action. Stuart's feeling better about things. He wants to um, get back together and regroup. And I couldn't. I was in the States. I couldn't get back. So I had to get a temporary drummer in. I said, look, oh, I'm that's it. Okay. Now, when I came back, I was working with Pete Townsend on his new album, which was Psychoderelict at the time, uh-huh. um, which I've just finished his new album late last year. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, Simon Phillips, who was also the drummer with Pete along myself on his solo albums, had been playing for The Who in the 90s. I wasn't available to do the Buffalo Skinners when they wanted to suddenly go in and, and do this new album. I wasn't available. Yeah. So they used, I was then working with Pete, and they were using Simon Phillips, who was then in The Who, to do the Buffalo Skinners album. We sort of swapped gigs. But the point... I'm trying to make is that it never got documented as that. When I came back on the Buffalo Skinners tour, I'd finished my commitment with Simon. I'd done the tours I was doing, blah, blah, blah. I said to Tony Butler and to Stuart that I would be back. I think I played on the No Place Like Home album. both of them but one of them was purely as you know i wasn't actually physically in the band because they reformed the band as a three-piece which is ironic oh interesting um, and then when i came back I, I i was back in the band and the management said we didn't really say much about stuart quitting the band so what you have to do mark is you have to say you left which i was very uncomfortable oh. about. yeah no kidding I was weird okay about. everything i read says you left no, but that I was never, just the publicity. Okay. Country is Tony? You know, I've never ever left the band. I was circumstantially out the band because Stuart split the band up. Yeah, and, right. And, and you made other and plans, that, and then it was too late to come back. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I said I would come back because it was, you know, it was very close to my heart. The band. I still did the albums in between. Uh, you know, there was one album that I, um, before I was actually fully back into the band full time. I, I uh-huh. um, you know, I, I went to the studio and just did the albums because they'd rather have me obviously and I stayed in contact with Tony obviously being the southerner you know you're you're more sure. uh, around each other I've just seen Tony actually and been playing on his new project just to let you know when I came back it was like no we've already put the press announcement in that you left the band and that you've come back and it was like oh my god how am I going to deal with this so I just did I just thought I don't care it doesn't matter I'll yeah. just roll with it you know it was very uncomfortable yeah. some of my interviews when I had to you know, they say, why did you leave? Well, it's like, how long have you got? I don't think I've got time yeah, to tell right. the story. You know? So yeah. it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, I, 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 I actually said on one interview, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, know, right. I, I actually didn't know what to say. It's been twisted around so much. Who knows yeah. anymore, right? It, yeah, it, okay. My heart sinks when, when, when I see it as documented that I left because, you know, from a, from a very personal viewpoint, I would have never left Big Country. I had Stuart not split it up. Yeah. You know, I never yeah. really ever ever left. It was the fact that there was no band, and I just got on with what I had to do, telling yeah. them that I would be back once my contract had worked had been finished, right. which, which is what right. I did. And when it had, okay. I came straight back into the band to promote. Funny enough, the Buffalo Skinners album. So that's where I, you know, joined in the dots. But it goes back to your original question, John, of you know the ups and downs of of, of Big Country, and particularly how vulnerable Stuart was at that time. You know. Yeah. Um, he had a real, he had a very low point then, you know, and it wasn't drink driven or anything like that. It was definitely Stuart being very uh, reflective and, and deep into himself about what he wanted to do privately and where he was right. in his life, not only musically, but where he was with, with you okay. know, dealing with his personal life and, and the music, you know. You keep mentioning a lot of personal things, which is, I mean, that's a bigger deal anyway, but. I've always wondered if my perception of the situation is that, you know, Big Country makes a big splash on the first album, and then unfortunately in the States, it gets smaller and smaller as it goes to kind of more of a core fan base. And I've always wondered if that, you know, indifference to newer Big Country albums, maybe the post-Ebo sound of the band, you know, we're no longer doing the bagpipe thing anymore we're writing straightforward rock songs and the indifference maybe in the states of the reception of that music if that's mm -hmm. what is fueling his depression and his alcoholism and his family problems and anything else that may have been you know kind of leading up to that suicide moment because it was kind of at a downtime and i'm speaking completely from an from an american perspective i know that you guys maintained you know, pretty high profile throughout Europe and stuff like that. Only in the States did it kind of fall off. But do you think any of that was sort of feeding his insecurity and his sadness? Um, Stuart could be very, very different about things on a different day. You know, one mm. day he would be really, you know, he took a look at, we all did. I'm going to say he did. It has to be all of us because we were a team effort, you know. And we all took a lot of pride in what we put out. You know, we, we had our own way of judging whether songs would make it, whether they were emotional enough, whether they were, yeah. whether they told the story well enough lyrically from Stuart's point of view. We had a way of vetting what we put out quite quite strict to the point where sometimes I thought there was good ideas that went astray because of that. We were very, yeah. Stuart particularly was very, you know, it was either, there was no middle ground. It was either, as he would call it, shite or yeah. it was great. In a way, he was a little bit like that with decision making as well and sometimes things would get him down I, you know I wouldn't say this would, would be the main reason what would give him mass unhappiness because he used to say to me often you know he was grateful not only did he want to he had big aspirations to be global like anyone would with their music you know he was very proud that people listened to his words and listened to his music he, mm -hmm. he, he always found that an amazing thing that you know you put something out and he was still very humble and you know people would 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 have heard the song you know because it's on radio he was still sure. you know, in awe of all that kind of thing you know he was also a guy that would say hey you know we've got to be grateful for what we've got you know we're yeah. doing great in mm -hmm. europe and we're doing great it doesn't matter that america doesn't like us we don't need them anyway you know there was a little bit yeah. of that you know obviously we know that's 
you know that that's that's true when he says that because he was a very humble man you know he had great aspirations as a humble man and, and it came with a duality because of that so once one side he would be grateful for small mercies he 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 thought little things were very precious mm-hmm. you know, he would see, he would see small things as being very big things you know as as things to be really appreciated by you know he often used to say it's not the journey you know it's not getting there it's you enjoy the journey he often said that to me you know regarding america is you know it doesn't matter whether we make it or not people have heard of us out there and you know if people like the music they'll they'll find us you know it was the journey pretty much that he felt that he enjoyed rather than the okay. arrival the arrival was often a disappointment uh, it was, so he understood that the ups and downs were part of the journey. He did. So, yeah. but yeah, okay. You know, well, good. He, he did. I remember how miffed we were at the Grammys because, you know, we we had two Grammy nominations for In a Big Country uh-huh. as a, as a breakout artist and as a as a, as a single. You know, we had a call when we went out there to uh, the, uh, the Michael Jackson Theatre in Los Angeles to. Uh, we, we had what we were told was an unprecedented call to go there the night before and do a rehearsal with the orchestra, picking up your prize. It was a paper cup of water, you know. Um, really? So we knew where to stand for the camera shots and stuff. If you had that call, you were pretty likely to get the award. <laughs> we went there the night before and did the, and the nominees are, and the, the winner is, and it was like, you know, it was demoed as the winner was in a big country, with big country. Um, and so oh. come the night, you know, we were thinking, we, we've got it in the bag, you know. And then it wasn't. It was Culture Club, I think, be, um, got the award. Yeah. And I think it was Every Breath You Take, I think, as well, or something. And yeah. I remember the band was very devastated at that. Totally honoured that we played live on the Grammys because we played on there. The nominations was, was, was awesome. You know, getting that is, is, sure. was, was huge for us. I mean, let, let's not underestimate that. But I know when we returned, Stuart was really like, oh, my God, we were so close. It was, you know, he yeah. was a big football fan, and you saw it, that we were so close to getting the ball in the net. He got hit the post and sprung off at the side. <laughs> Stuart was very competitive, you know, if, if you're talking about how Stuart was. Interesting. Okay. He was a very con- competitive guy. You know, he loved football. He loved sport. He loved, he loved looking, you know, he would have made a great football manager because he knew uh-huh. how to operate a team. He knew how to make strategy, and he would make plans. And he was a really good footballer. He was a he he could have been oh. professional if he'd started earlier. He was very competitive. He had to win things, you know. Yeah. He, you know, we and Stuart used to go jogging when we when we were doing peace in our time when we were in Los Angeles for nearly five and a half months. Me and Stuart shared an apartment, so we used to go jogging in the morning. And you know, we had we were definitely like who could get back quickest after doing a half mile run you know when we stayed in the apartments in sweden when we were doing the second album still town yeah um, my you know, favorite by the way
yeah, a Polar Studios, that was old studios, you know, we had bicycles, yeah. you know, it was all very bike driven out there. And me and Stuart again shared a flat, and Tony and Bruce shared a flat. And Stuart and me, we, you know, we used to race each other back, to, you know, see if we could find a shorter cut. He was like very, very competitive, and, you know, he didn't like losing. Yeah. <laughs> he took it on the chin, but, you know, he had to, he had to, he had to amend the score by winning the next yeah. time. So he had a lot of drive and ambition, and I think, you know, Perhaps not being able to hold his marriage together, and, and yeah. you know, he was it was a big personal blow for him from that point yeah. of view. I think. And also feeling defeated uh, by life, life's yeah, you know yeah. unforeseen, unfortunate circumstances are kind of defeating him. It yeah, sounds like he's yeah. not the kind of person that could handle that very well. And those things would get to him. You know, he 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 would be very close to his family. He adored his family. You know, those things would get to him that that, that he he wanted it to work so much. I know that. What, yeah. and, he, and he he was so idealistic about things you know he he believed in romance and he believed in love and he believed because they're in his words you know he believed how how fragile you know love is you know in fragile thing if you listen to those lyrics yeah. you know, it, it, only in hindsight do his lyrics speak volumes about the person right? absolutely um, yeah so true so true and and you know again to try and answer your original question Stuart was very vulnerable because yeah. of that. He was a very yeah. vulnerable person. More vulnerable than his stoic, um, forthright, leading the charge leadership side, um, you know, would 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 show. Underneath was, was, was quite a shy, uh, retiring guy, you know. Yeah. Was, uh, Isn't that often the case, though? Yeah. The people who put up the, the strongest front are often the most vulnerable behind that front. It's a you bit know? like... That's the reason for the front. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit like a lot of great comedians have a tragic side to them. Yes, you know, yes, you know, exactly. you know the, it's a, there's a little dichotomy like that. I can't help but but say that about Stuart. He's only human at the end of the day. Yeah, and there was a lot yeah. of things put on his shoulders um, within the band uh, w- without us realizing. Because you know, at the, at the end of the day, when you're the lead singer and your main songwriter, singer songwriter, and it's your concept. You're carrying the can with with right. success and and whether people are, are accepting what you're doing. You know, there's far more on you than there was on me. For pressure, yeah. to be honest with you, sure, um, other sure. than me providing uh, support for Stuart as a mate when he was around and and being trying to be, you know, a great musician with him. So, yeah, the, 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 yeah, that's the, unfortunate. You know, he was, he was you, quite a shy. Oh, he ahead. was quite a shy man on stage as well. You know, he he found it difficult sometimes to uh, talk to the audience. Not that you would know that, um, huh. but I could see it in him that he was he was quite actually, you know, facing the audience and 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 talking and finding things to say. It wasn't didn't come easy with him. Passion would come easy with him. You know, if, right. if there was if a fight broke out in the audience, that would really row him. You know, he was really <laughs> he didn't like that and. He, he would stop the band. Um, he would jump out into the audience. You know, he would he, he would be glaring and and glaring and swearing and shouting at these people. Sure. You know, because um, yeah. he didn't like he didn't like violence. He didn't want yeah. violence to be associated with big country. Um, he was a passive guy, wanting yeah. peace in the world without you know being too over right. the top about things. And huh. he knew right from wrong. You know, so yeah, uh, he was a, he was a good peacemaker. You know, with, with yeah. within. Good. Uh, and he portrayed that at the gigs, but it was it was genuine. It wasn't like a stage act, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you knew what would 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 rail him, you know. I'm curious when you found out that he had committed suicide. 
did you like first of all what i mean was it sort of a he a feeling of like he finally did what we thought he might do was no. a total shock and then what was the aftermath i mean does a business manager take the rest of you guys sit you down in a conference room and say look this is what this is what the plan is or what do you guys want to do what's the initial aftermath after something like that happens well it's a, it's um it's a huge thing you know having which is pretty much like your brother kill themselves yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that i don't think i remember going to get over if i'm really honest with you yeah. um and I, and i don't think the dust has settled with me even you know it's something i probably for my own protection i tend to blot out the way because i don't want to think about it too much but I none of us saw it coming is the truth, John. Yeah. We had no idea that he you know, he would feel that low to do that, you know. Um, we didn't know he would was feeling that low because, like I said, he was out right. out 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 of mind, particularly at that time. Um, and being a band, it didn't really communicate even when we were in the UK a lot, when we were away from each other, you know, at those yeah. rare times we were away. We just saw that as giving each other space, you know. You know, obviously... Stuart wouldn't call me out the blue. Stuart would only call me out the blue if there was a kick that suddenly came up or um, he wanted to ask me about a mix or something that was very important or an interview thing, schedule, or, you know, we, none of us really spoke to each other. So when when we were told by our manager, you know, just by a phone call, you know, are you sitting down, you know, I can't, you know, yeah. I mean, the manager was pretty beside himself. I was driving at the time. I had to pull over. I felt, I felt, oh, no. I yeah, felt like, I, I felt like throwing up. You know, I've never experienced that feeling before, and uh, you know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't see it coming. Nobody did. He was a strong man, as such, that was dealing with things in the way we knew the great Stuart Adamson always did deal with things. But you know, he, yeah. I think he harboured a lot of things that he didn't reach out to people enough for, perhaps. Yeah. There were signs, if I'm really honest with you, when when on the Raphael's tour, it wasn't just signs to us, it was signs to a lot of people that things weren't right. It, what had happened was he was an alcoholic and given up drinking. He was very diligent about that. He was very yeah. measured about uh, what he would do after gigs and stay away from people that were drinking and be around like-minded people. He used to hang around with me a lot because I didn't really drink. I don't drink at all now. Um, yeah. The yeah, the Raphael's too. Yeah, yeah, it was the first sign that I, that, I, that I was very worried about Stuart. And not only was I worried, the whole band was, and 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 people around him were from his immediate family, mm -hmm. Buchanan, his son, uh, and obviously the whole of his family were worried about him, and our management as well, and the record company as well, because they were they were very instrumental in helping Stuart with the AA side of things. Yeah. Um, the same people that I think Phil Spalding got help from as well, you know, because he, oh, he, uh -huh. he, he had a story as well. Yeah, we talked a lot but, um, about that. Yeah, um, so that was the first time I really saw that, that things were more serious than, than anyone had really thought because, you know, we didn't see much of Stuart. When he came over here to do it, when he came over to the UK from Nashville to do a tour with the Raphaels, he obviously called me, which is very, I'm very grateful for because, I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm honored to play with him in that. He called yeah. me to do the live touring with, with the Raphaels as, as me and him from Big Country. So those tours were only little small tours. You know, it was on the same size as Big Country because it was his new project, but he had a lot of interest, obviously. Those tours were very stressful seeing Stuart in, in, in a pretty low way. He basically started drinking again, John. 
no. And um, okay. that was the slippery slope. He started drinking yeah. again. People were, uh, whoever those people were, were particularly from the management, really tried to help. I know Ian was very instrumental in, yeah. in, in helping. So was so was Stuart's immediate family as well. And Callum was was around a lot more. And was how old more. was Callum at this point? I don't know. I oh, lost track okay. of the time. Yeah, okay. he was. He must yeah. have been early twenties. I know he was coming over to see his dad over in Nashville more often than than he used to to spend more time with his father and to you know to uh, obviously to to be with his dad, but yeah. also just to check things are all okay with his you know with what is what's sure. going on. And it was that those times where Stuart had gone missing, you know, it was it was it was actually in the newspaper, so I'm not saying anything I couldn't say. You know, I've got to be careful I don't say anything that's that's disrespectful in, in anyone getting hurt by bringing things up again, you know. I've got to be uh-huh. respectful for that. He, he he did go missing a few times. What I read in the papers or or our management would say, you know, bad news, I'm really worried about Stuart. You know, if he was here I could help him more but He's out in America, and you know we're not there. You know, Cannon was out there, and he, you know, he'd gone missing on a couple of occasions. I mean, it was in the papers about that, and the newspapers over right. here that right. Stuart had gone missing. And I, you know, oh, I, t- I turned on the news and saw that on the news. You know, on the morning breakfast, yeah. the singer of Big Country had gone missing, and fears about him. You know, that's when yeah. we got very worried. But nobody really knew what was going on at that point. Well, I certainly yeah. didn't know. So I can't really comment. That's tough. I mean, so then the band basically comes to an end. Sounds like it had been rocky for a good 10 years, actually, if not more, prior to that, kind of an off and on thing, maybe even. Well, we, you know, we're talking about the, the recording over here with the with the lack of Ebos and the post-Ebos and that kind of Celtic sound that we were so famous for. The band had kind of grown into this more rock thing, you know. That, yeah. X-Buy in a square in Berlin Got holes in his knife-tip shoes He'll tell you the mess I'm clothes, man He'll sell you a warhead, too Got driving my yellow taxi He had a T-72 I'm doubled up in the backseat I'm getting a closer view A working illustration of the golden rule Whoever ends up with the gold will make the rules wanted to have a shot at America as well like we all do I still feel we've got unfinished business here America's the <laughs> no big, kidding America's always the big one as a musician yeah. coming from England you re, you know you can do your local places in Europe which is fabulous you know we love playing there sure you know, sure there's always a good market in Scandinavia and you know Holland and you know we didn't do much more outside that you know we played funny enough in Moscow twice <laughs> yeah we, we, we enjoyed that aspect of, of the greater Europe including doing some parts of east you know eastern europe but america was the big the big apple yeah and the big you know yeah. big want to, to succeed in america and the big credible you know we saw the success with u2 and other bands that seemed to come over here and 
and do something through, similar. You know, and, yeah. and it was something that was we wanted to do as well. But those bands that did that did it through one thing generally, which was they came over here and didn't go home. Yeah, <laughs> we toured and toured and toured, and that's right. what we needed to do. And I think it's something that big country weren't really capable of doing under the circumstances of to, to, to let things work. You need to have yeah. the time out to make things happen. Did you make several, I mean, how, how many different tours of America did you do? I was too young, unfortunately, back then. I would have just been, in 1984, I was 11 years old. So I wasn't really over, concert going age, but. We came over on the crossing tour, you know, we, we, you did, okay. Yeah, um, and we came over several times, but not not for great periods of time. It's a huge place, you know. Yeah. A big country, you know. Right. It's, 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 and the, the name was perfect for, for success over here. And and the music was, was very big and landscape and, and themic. Um, and yeah. We, we, when we came over here, we were only playing small clubs, but we had a kind of a cult following, and you know, because it's all changed now. College radio stations were playing us, and uh, yeah. you know, the big the FM radios were playing us, and we were on MTV by that time, you know, on on circulation on certain songs. Uh-huh. And so we we had a pretty good following, which led us to the Grammy nominations. You know, we were riding yeah. pretty high over here, but um, we didn't put the time in. That's the thing. You know, that's what I'm wondering went, if you continued we on, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s, were you still over here? In well, the we states, kind of doing. Bobs. You know, I say bibs and bobs. It was it was nothing with a great big plan behind it. The biggest plan that we had was really when the record company decided that you know we should use Peter Wolf uh, to produce yeah. a piece in our time album. You know, have that sort of American rock sound, radio sound with it um, to make it more affable for our, our, our shot America. Really, you know, we we loved it coming over here to do that for um, piece in our time. And we loved working with Peter Wolf as well, although, you know, the purists that, that, that love Big Country saw that as a little bit of a departure for us because Peter right. was singing more, as they were saying, this sort of American accent, which wasn't, he's a kind of Scottish accent more so than American. Yeah. Um, but he also Stuart, embraced a lot of the American music and the American culture because he loved it over here, not like, you know, like I do. And he loved it over here. And he, he, I think, you know, because he wants to live over here ultimately, and he was always, he was already doing that with his previous marriage. He, he was spending a lot of time over in Florida. He uh, kind of saw that America was beckoning for him, you know, and leading up to the Peace in Our Time album, coming over here and spending near near on six months recording that record in Los Angeles was, was, was an amazing thing. It was one of the best things that's happened to me, really. You know, but... It, it's always in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. You know, in hindsight, I remember when the record got finished, it was kind of disjointed, and to be honest, it was neither neither full-on American rock and neither neither Celtic big country. You know, it was yeah, I remember, of... I bought it. I, yeah, I bought that album at the time because I liked King of Emotion.
heard a lot on the radio growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah. They played those a lot. Um, the album as a whole was, was You Were Right. It was a departure for me, um, but I loved those singles. I remember we, we had the, the, the very special playback at the record company. You know, you just do all your work and you spend all that time yeah. and that painstakingly putting the album together and being very proud of it. You know, we're too close to see it sometimes. And, and then we had the big launch at the record company where we had it played, you know, and it was a, mm-hmm. all the executives came in to give it a listen, the official listen, you know, and the congratulations on the, the release date on all this stuff, you know, all good stuff. Yeah. And when they put the record on, I remember the room fell fell quiet. We looked at each other thinking, This isn't this isn't pleasing them at all. It's like and I remember Stuart being really kind of perturbed about that, thinking, you know, Sure. What the hell's going on here? Why don't they get it? You know, what that was a big blow for Stuart when, when that happened in the room. I remember that I remember it clearly. Interesting. And we were we were like we weren't confident after that that the record company yeah. wasn't gonna do anything with it, you know. And obviously they picked off the, the obvious singles, you know, King of Emotion, yeah. King of Thirteen Valleys, uh, which are great songs. We still play those. We still do that now. Um, we still do yeah. King of Emotion. Um, but it, it was really, you know, I think that was our last and final shot at doing it, where we yeah. had what, what I call the, the might of the record label behind, because, you know, the record industry has changed now, where people do it a lot themselves. The big mm-hmm. record deals aren't there anymore. You know, you don't have the five-album record deals to watch the band develop like we had. You know, we mm-hmm. we had the three-album deal, which was rolling on to four albums, with, with Phonogram, or uh, well, Polygram at the time. And, you know, they invested in our future. You know, they wanted to see the band develop and grow. You know, that's, that's what they did back then. And right. I think it was coming out of this new technology with the internet and stuff and people doing things at home, home recordings, studios right. closed down and people not having the money to invest in bands anymore. And I think that was our last shot, to be honest, at America. Yeah, probably I think was. everyone felt it. And I think when when we regrouped, it was kind of like, well, hey, you know, we've had a shot. We enjoyed it. Let's just concentrate on what we know we can do best. And kind of America kind of on got got taken off the radar, to be honest with you. Right, much, right. Much to my upset because I love it over here. You know, yeah. I always wanted it to, to, you know, I always felt, I used to say, there's unfinished business. We need to go back to America. Right, right, right. What about well, I did, Yeah, I did finally get to see you when you came through a couple of years ago with, with Mike Peters. A little club here in Denver called the Marquee Theater, and in the front, it's a pizza place, and in the back, there's a stage. I saw you guys perform there finally. In fact, I bumped into you out front and kind of patted you on the back and said I was I loved you. But I get, I'm sure you get that oh. a lot. But anyway, um, no, 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's okay. So I finally finally had my moment after waiting, you know, 30 years to see Big Country live. I finally got to do it. We're coming up on the end. What's uh, what's the plan now? I mean, Mike came in for a little while and then he left, probably to go well, back we, and pursue we, his own we, stuff. We, we, well, we 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 love Mike, and I saw Mike recently on on one of the alarm shows. He's fantastic, you know. And obviously, he's, he's the he's, best. I just he's, saw him he's, recently. He's, again he's a very inspiring guy, not unlike Stuart. You know, he's battling yeah uh, leukemia, and uh, you know, he's got passion for his Love Hope Strength Foundation, which he does an enormous amount of great work for that. And he's yeah. very inspirational to people. He, he's a, he's an incredible guy, and he had a passion for big country, uh, you know, because we were bands side by side at the same time with with that kind of genre of music, what with Simple Minds, U2, The Alarm, The Big Country, kind of grouped yeah. together. So we, we knew when Mike came in, back into the band that it would be only for a limited time because he he wasn't a free agent. You know, he was the singer of The Alarm. He was Mike Peter's oh, okay. Alarm. So we knew that, you know, he, he would do a tenure with us as in... As in, okay. in uh, and so at some point we knew, as as Bruce Watson calls it, Whoever we have to sing, who, who sings for Big Country, will never be Stuart Adamson. It can never be the yeah. same, but it will be as good right. as you'll get. But so, in Bruce's wonderful way, he puts things because he's a very humorous guy. Bruce, as well as a great guitar player, he's mm-hmm. he, he calls them he calls the singers the new Doctor Who. It doesn't matter who the new Doctor Who is. Ah, uh, got it. You know, mm-hmm. it could be the next person. You know, and they bring their own story to it. As long as it, as long as the songs um, are done with respect, and that we're yeah. doing. You know, we still have the sound. We still have the guitar and the drum sound, which is a good thing. Right. We've obviously Bruce now trained up his son Jamie to to, to sure. take the second lead guitar parts. You know, and like I said, Tony's no longer in the band. You know, after Stuart passed, just to sort of tidy up that area, obviously it, it, it put paid to the band straight away. We weren't going to do anything. Sure. We had to just sit, just sit back and 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 you know, we were in shock. You know, we, we all just had to take stock of everything. And then when the dust settled, you know, it wasn't until good eight or nine years later, I think that you know there was there was there was a big swell on the internet for you know that you know wishing they could have seen the band live and wishing right, the music right. was still available, but you know will never be now. And then and then you know it was kind of a uh, we we what we did we put the band together in three pieces. You probably know about called BBW Baziki Butler Watson. We did a little EP with with trying Stuart, uh, Bruce on vocals, Tony Tony on vocals, myself on the more backing vocals than I've ever done. We did we did a little tour, uh, which 
was great because we had a lot of diehard fans, you know, they lapped it up every moment of it, you know, and then it was yeah. an emotional time. It was the band coming back without Stuart, which was an emotional thing because there was one guy missing. Right. Uh, it was very emotionally charged shows, you know, but there were great shows, but it was still very uh, sad overtone under them because, you know, blatantly somebody was missing, Stuart was missing. Yeah. And it yeah. felt like that to us that Stuart was missing. More, more as time passed, it, was, it wasn't only Stuart was missing. We felt like that if we were going to do this properly, in respect of you know doing the songs justice and and doing giving the audience something that value to listen to, you know we're yeah. not a covers band, you know we're not a tribute band, that we we should do it with with a with a separate lead vocalist and a guitarist that that can bring their leadership into the band like Mike does, you know he he's very right. He's fantastic at that, you know. He's, he has he's that thing that Springsteen yeah. has, that, that Bono has, that Stuart has. You know, they have that thing about yeah. them. That went remarkably well over here in in America. You know, Tony. At this point, bearing in mind that I was able to survive after Stuart passed because I was already doing lots of session work. I've always done mm-hmm. session work. I was right. very lucky enough to still have Progal Harm that I did, you know, 17 years with. Um, right. I also okay. had my other projects with Simon Townsend, and I was in. I've reformed Summertap Newman, who I just told you we lost Annie Newman recently. Yeah. I mean, I was now lead vocalist with them on the drums. So I was, I was, you know, keep myself pretty busy after Stuart passed. And in fact, it helped that I could bury myself in work. You know, Tony got himself a, a, a day job, basically, along with Bruce. Bruce went back to, and he's been really? very vocal about that. Bruce went back to his old job working in the dockyard in Wasai. You know, really? And yeah, he just, he just just went back to work um tony decided that he wanted to take a break and he didn't want to have anything to do with the music business and you know yeah it, it, it affected all of us in different ways you know Stuart's past. yeah and um tony was lucky enough to um you know he he, he retrained as a, as, a, as a teacher teaching music and technology in in, in in college so he's very happy dealing with students and and seeing young people you know he gets a lot of pleasure out of making sure yeah. His students are guided by him. You know, he's very forthright. Tony sure, good. That's great. And he has a lot can of, you yeah, guys he, not live off big country royalties? No, no. I mean, can, no. There, there's a whole story there, John. That's for another uh, podcast. Yeah, it's for another time. Uh, we sold our publishing, and there's been problems with our publishing for many, oh, many years. That is tragic. Story. So I was able to, to maintain living with my drumming which i was yeah. very very grateful for and i never took anything for granted i just i just had a bigger diary of, of people i could reach out to and people were still calling me oh, i was very wow. very lucky and very blessed yeah by bruce didn't That's have heartbreaking. that he went Ugh. back to work tony was very very much didn't want to really be playing you know he, he was yeah. hurt by the whole business by where it all led up to with Stuart's passing and he always had visions of the business being far more happy ending than what had happened to Tony. Yeah, you know, right. he's, he's, he's a very emotional guy as well. So he, he took stock and, and kind of, he, he didn't want to really play the bass anymore, although he did come back into the band close to Mike Peters going out on tour with us, but it would have meant him giving up his job as a teacher. He yeah, could do, he didn't want he to could, do that. Basically what ended up happening, John, was that the band stopped completely. We tried it as a three piece. It didn't work. Meanwhile, the guys had, had ensconced themselves back in their day jobs and we're kind of happy ticking over with a guaranteed wage and, yeah. you know, seeing it sort of thing. I was still working with quite a lot of other people. I was very lucky to do that. We ended up coming back. I remember I kept ringing up Bruce and Tony saying, come on, we've got to still play together. And 
I, I joined. I, I by this time I joined a band called From the Jam with Bruce Foxton, which I've just uh, done his new. I've just done his new solo album actually, which has got Paul. Oh, Wallen excellent! Excellent. Yeah. We kind of got talking to, to get the band back together again. But it, what it would mean is that we would only be able to work at weekends because of their day yeah, job. Okay. So, so are you guys doing like retro, you know, rewind festivals? Well, we're not, we're, we're like not quite there yet. With this, I just have to say that we're not, we're not there now. When, when prior to Tony not, not being able to commit full time to Big Country, which is why we used um, Derek Forbes from Simple Minds, and we're now using <clears> Scott <throat> Whitley and Matt Peck from uh-huh. Procol Harum. You know, we ended up doing some shows with Mike. Working at weekends is kind of how we were doing it. And that worked for the band. Um, it didn't work for me too well because I, I still had from the jam and other session work to do. So, yeah. you know, in the end, when, when it was time to come out to America and, and we were doing the band, the album, The Journey, it meant more of a commitment in the studio. So Bruce pretty much left his job and committed to the band again. He took a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And Tony was, you know, he had other responsibilities. You know, he had he had a lot of students that were relying on him to get them through. You know, their their sure. their studying. You know, with their qualifications, yeah, he took a lot of pride in that, which we yeah. totally respect. So Tony's kind of happy doing that. He's now writing his own solo stuff, which is only about Great. a month ago. Great. I've just been okay. playing some facts with him in Cornwall. So when we got back together finally, when Mike joined the band, we were, were able to go full time again because we got Jamie into in, back into you know mm-hmm. as Bruce's son. Mm-hmm. Tony couldn't do it because we were full-time. Bruce committed to doing it full-time. And I, I kind of I had to let go of a lot of the other stuff I was doing to, to right. you know, make the commitment again, although I still do other things. but So that's where sure. we are. We're kind of working most weekends. Um, okay, with, good. With a, new, with a new singer called Simon Simon Hoff. Or Simon yeah, Howe. I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know who that guy was. Yes, and he, he's he's a great guy. You know, good. He's unpretentious. He, he's a great singer. He has a little bit of a timber that Stuart has in his voice. He, he's not a lead singer from a, uh, another band of his own solo stuff, which I'm also doing. He's got solo projects okay. coming out. I wondered about that. But um, yeah. But he he does a great job of 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 not not complicating anything. You know, Good. he just okay. the songs fantastic. He's uh, you know he's he's not trying to be Stuart Adamson or replace Stuart. You know. stage i mean 
we always leave a gap. We we don't set up with with the microphone in the middle. Oh, interesting. We, we still leave yeah. a gap where that's Stuart's cool. place rightfully is. Yeah, that's cool. Stage. You know, our singer sings stage left off the yeah. center. So the wow. Stuart's place okay. is still there. That's He's, great. You now, when, when we play, you know, we're still celebrating our music, Stuart's lyrics, a lot yeah. of Stuart's writing. And, cool. you know, it's still it's still Stuart Anderson's music we're playing, and we respect that. Yeah. Along with our own writing as well. Cause I right, can't, I of course. Take away of course. Well, good. So, so. Well, Mark, I, uh, I got to let you go, but I, um, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that I love you a lot. And that's one thing. I mean, it's kind of a cliche to say, but I, in a strange way, Stuart's death taught me how important it is to tell the people who matter to you how much they mean to you before it's too late. And you probably know this. You get it. I'm sure you hear it a lot. Your creative output, the things that you have put out in this world for have made people's lives better. And it's a shame that it couldn't translate to helping Stuart's own life, but I'm glad your life is good. And I just want to thank you for the positive impact you've had on this world through your music and through who you are. It's made our lives better. And I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. And it's a, it's a group effort, you know, and that, 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 that's a big accolade to Stuart Adamson as well. So I know we like it. It is. Yeah. Stuart made my life better. You know, I wouldn't be here talking to you now. I wouldn't be in America and I wouldn't have had a lot of the breaks I had without, you know, being able to be in the, the wonderful band that, that is big country, you know, that wouldn't have happened. But that's through Stuart Adamson, I can say. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Mark. All right, there you have it, Mark Brzezecki. I love that guy, but I have to say that I cannot shake the idea that the guys in big country cannot make a living off of big country, that they all need to do other things, get other jobs. That doesn't feel right to me. And Mark mentioned that's a whole other story. Maybe we'll get into that some other time. That's pretty tragic if you ask me. A band this good and this talented can't pay their bills off their success. It's sad. By the way, I mentioned at the very beginning about that introduction to the podcast that I recorded. If you wanted to hear that or any of our older episodes, you just go to thehustle.podbean.com and everything's on there. Admittedly, I don't do a ton of work on the website. One of these days I will as soon as I learn how and I have the time to do it. So for now, it's really just a place to host and post all of our episodes. So if you want to go on there and listen to some of the older ones that don't show up on iTunes anymore, feel free. Also, I got to say thank you to Dave Hill, who works with the Big Country Camp, for making this happen. I had been bugging him for months, and bless him for arranging it so that Mark and I can talk. Thank you, Dave, if you're listening. Now, because it's our first birthday, and we've been at this for a year, I have to say two more huge thank yous Number one, to Aaron Syrett, who was the original producer of this podcast. He got us through the first 19 or 20 episodes. It never would have started or gotten off the ground without him. Thank you, Aaron, for being my friend and for helping with this and doing this with me. And on top of that, thank you to the extremely valuable Jan Makevich for working with me on putting this out week after week after week. The guy works so hard and he does so good and he's gotten so much better. And 
little bit of trivia for you. Yan lives in Dunfermline, Scotland, which is where Stuart Adamson is from and where Big Country was formed. How about that? Anyway, thank you, Yan, for everything. And thank you all listeners, anyone who sticks with us, anyone who's new, please go into iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, write us a review, go into the archives and see if there's other bands or artists that you love that maybe you haven't heard from for a while, and see if you enjoy the conversations I've had with some of those people. You can find us on Facebook and like our page, and you can send me a message on there if there's someone you want me to track down for you, and we can interview, or if you want to send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com feel free. You can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod, and you can subscribe to our playlist on YouTube. Just search for The Hustle Podcast Playlist. Thank you, everybody, for everything that you do. Love you a lot. We'll talk to you next week.